Well, the Rowlidge told me to go right ahead. He'd introduced me every night. This He didn't say this, but he's introduced me every night this week. So uh, I presume that everybody knows who I am. Should there be any stranger here or visitor for the first night, my name is Trotter. I'm not to blame for that, but uh, my name is Trotter, and Brother Eldridge kindly invited me to be here in meetings this week, and I very kindly, I mean I very hilariously and quickly grasped the opportunity oh, yeah. and responded with alacrity to be here, and uh, I've enjoyed it. Now, really, I've really enjoyed it. The meetings are doing me a lot of good. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and here we are tonight. Now, I made a terrible mistake tonight when I came on the platform. Uh, it was got on toward almost half past seven. It was getting on late, almost time to begin the meeting, and there were only about three people here. So I looked at Brother Eldridge, and he said, oh, there's not going to be hardly anyone here tonight. They're all out to a wedding shower. And so I came out on the platform, saw Brother and Sister Parvin back there, and I said, well, you might as well come on up and sit in the front seat. There isn't going to be anybody here tonight. Uh, so they, Sister Parvin kindly reminded me that evidently I didn't think they were anybody. But they're somebody. And all the rest of you good folks that came from Evangel, temple and uh, anybody else from any other assembly I see the Prathers back there uh, Sister Prather was up in Springfield not too long ago and I, am, I almost ran over her in my automobile I, uh, I, I couldn't get the window open to toot the horn or call to her but uh, I saw her anyway about six feet away and uh, so we're glad that we're here tonight in the name of the Lord God bless every every one of you, and I'm ashamed of myself. We've got a good little crowd out here tonight. We've got a good attendance, and the Lord is here tonight to stretch forth his hand to heal. Now, I'm not going to preach a sermon on divine healing, although I, although I am going to preach on cripples. I'm going to preach on cripples, uh, but I, it's, it's not going to be a sermon on, on divine healing as manifested in the healing of physical infirmity or physical ailment, although we believe that and preach it and practice it and pray for the sick and God does heal the sick, much to, sometimes, much to our surprise. He takes us by surprise and answers us, and people get well that really we don't have too much faith for. So God is a, a wonderful God. Praise the name of the Lord forever. And so we're glad to be here tonight. I want to talk about cripples. We just sung that beautiful old song. I remember I learned it when I was in the Baptist church when I was just a little boy. I couldn't have been more than, oh, nine, eight or nine years old, and the, the choir sung it. We got a, they, they popularized the song in that particular church. This was back about 1909 or 1910, and the, the beautiful choir, and they sung that. Jesus, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. It was around Easter time. I've never forgotten it. And uh, we just naturally, with everybody else, we fell in love with the song. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, and so on. And uh, here not long ago, I met a old Pentecostal friend of mine, he's about 77, 78, preacher from up in New England, and uh, he's retired, lives in Springfield. That's uh, so many of the old-timers moved to Springfield. I don't know I don't know what they moved to Springfield for. I guess they think they'll huddle up together and 
had a lot of fellowship with a lot of other old timers. I don't know, but there's a whole raft of them I've met up there in Springfield that no longer able to get out and preach. And so anyway, a fellow called me one day, and here it was my old friend Marshall Shedd. And uh, so I got the calling on him, called on him every once in a while, and he said, oh, you know that song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus? He said, I knew that woman. He said she used to come to a little bit of an upstairs mission in Boston. He speaks with a very, very strong Boston accent. And he said, over in Boston, this, this, this dear saint of God came. But he said, you know, she was a cripple. She had to come in a wheelchair. Well, she was crippled in her physical body, but she wasn't crippled in her soul, I'll tell you that, or she wouldn't have been able to write a song like that. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Now, should there be anyone here? I'm going to speak about cripples. And should there be anyone here, now I'm serious now, I'm not trying to be smart, if there's anyone here that has a physical infirmity and you happen to walk with a limp or some member of your body, your arms or your hands or your feet or limbs are in any way incapacitated and you might be classified as at least a partial cripple, I am not speaking of being a cripple tonight in any derogatory sense. Our heart goes out to anyone who is injured or through crippling arthritis or through any other cause whatsoever are impaired in the full use of every member of their body. Our hearts are only in love and in sympathy for them, and we certainly do not speak in any derogatory manner whatsoever in regards to anybody who happens to be incapacitated to any degree in their physical body. Now, in case there should be such here tonight, I just wanted to set your mind at ease and reassure your dear heart that we're that we're that that that, that we're not uh, speaking in any term of ridicule. Or in, or in any belittling way, or in any derogatory manner whatsoever. But I feel that there's a wonderful truth in what I have to bring to you tonight, and it's found, my text is found in the book of Mark. That's the second book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, 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 Mark. The book of Mark, the third chapter, and the first verse. Here we go. Mark, the the third chapter and the first verse. And Jesus entered again into the synagogue. Now this was the synagogue at Capernaum. This was over in Capernaum. And the, and the scribes and the Pharisees weren't very friendly in their attitude toward him. They were full of hatred and wrath against him. And after the, whether it was a morning service or afternoon service, I don't know. But after the meeting, he and his disciples were walking through a nearby cornfield, and his disciples plucked the ears of corn and rubbed the grain 
maybe it was barley, I don't know, they, they, they call it corn, but corn in the Bible means grain. And so they, they rubbed the chaff off of the kernels of grain and ate it raw. It's good for you. It's got all the vitamins and minerals, the whole thing's there. And, uh, and the Pharisees found fault, muttered in their beard, and, you're breaking the Sabbath, he's breaking the Sabbath, and anybody broke the Sabbath. That was a, that was a charge that, was, that, that brought about the mandatory death sentence. Those people didn't like Jesus. They were trying to find an excuse to kill him. Not everybody, but some of the leaders were of that attitude. And so this first verse of Mark, the third chapter of Mark says, and he entered again into the synagogue. What a wonderful Christ. He knew that a lot of them wanted to kill him, and they were full of hatred and venom and, 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 and just uh, meanness against him, and yet he turned around and says he went back into the synagogue again. Oh, how many times he comes and pursues after us and, 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 and reveals himself and, and witnesses to us and follows after us. Aren't you glad that he just doesn't let us go? But he entered again into the synagogue, and there was, a man, there was a man there which had a withered hand. Not his whole arm, but just his hand, I, maybe halfway to his elbow, I don't know. His hand was withered. It may have taken in half the arm or all the arm for all I know, but the, it says his hand was withered. Now, if I came in to the meeting with my right hand all shriveled up and shrunken, and uh, you went to shake hands with me, and I had to shake hands with you with my left hand, vigorous and strong and normal. Why, well, you couldn't help, if you were normal, you couldn't help but raise your eyebrows and, 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 and steal a sly glance to see what was wrong with my right hand. You wouldn't be rude. You'd say, what are you shaking hands with your left hand for? What's wrong with your right hand? You wouldn't do a crude, crass, unkind thing like that. Uh, you'd... Uh, You'd shake hands with the victim, or you'd shake hands with me. With my, with you'd let you'd shake my left hand, yeah. because you'd have sense enough to know my right hand is crippled. Understand? Yeah. Well, here was a man in the synagogue. He was evidently a Jew, or he wouldn't have been in the synagogue. He was trying to keep the law, or he wouldn't have been in the synagogue. He was hungry after God, he, wanted, he had some streak of goodness in him, or he wouldn't have been in the synagogue. And uh, the fame of Jesus, wherever Jesus went, everybody knew about it. Everybody was talking about it. One in the Bible said, uh, one of the old patriarchal blessings, Moses or Jacob said, uh, unto him when Shiloh came. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And so wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd followed him. And uh, he went one place, he went into a house, and he sought to be hid, but he couldn't be hid. Oh, they just, the news got out. And don't you think that they weren't buzzing like a hive of bees around Capernaum at this time? That, oh, the master, uh, that healer of Nazareth, that Jesus, the carpenter's son, he was there at the last meeting, and, and more of the scribes are trying to fix him. They're going to fix him good. He broke the Sabbath. He, he was eating grain, or his disciples were breaking the Sabbath day, and Jesus shut them up in a hurry. 
we won't go into that now. We're not talking about the Sabbath day. And then Jesus turns right around, goes back into the synagogue. And man, they didn't have television. They didn't have radio. They didn't have bicycles. They didn't have telephones. But the news spread like wildfire. It was gone. And everybody, oh, he went back into the synagogue. And they were all buzzing and uh, huzz and buzz. They were all buzzing about it. And so I have an idea. The synagogue was packed. It was really filled. They all wanted to see what Jesus was going to do and see what next was going to be in this episode. And here in the second verse, it says, they watched him. They watched Jesus. Everybody in the synagogue knew, just a little town. They all knew that this fellow had a crippled hand, and they knew that Jesus had a heart as big as a wash tub. He was healing so many, so many, 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 many people on occasions. He healed all that were brought unto him. I mean physical diseases and physical ailments. Right. He healed them all. He healed with a touch. He healed by a spoken word from a distance. He healed... Uh, he, uh, uh, he healed by command. He healed by making mud out of the dust and telling a fellow to wash. And, you know, he, he healed and, and uh, touched the leper. And uh, Well, I won't go into that, but, but he healed. And so they watched him. They thought, now, this healer of Nazareth, chances are he'll heal this man. I wonder if he'll dare to do it on the Sabbath day. Oh, isn't prejudice an awful thing? Isn't prejudice an awful thing? Amen. And so uh, uh, they watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath day. What, why did they watch him for? That they might accuse him. Do you know what that means? In order that they might bring charge against him that he broke the Sabbath, which meant he would be put to death. They were nice playfellows, weren't they? You'd think Jesus would have scraped off the mud of their filthy town off his feet and had gone someplace else. But he didn't. He still stayed around and he still performed miracles and he still made his wonderful person and his presence and his salvation available to them in spite of all the poison in their spirits. Now, I don't mean everybody in the synagogue was like that, but the leaders, a bunch of the leaders, that was their attitude. And they watched him in order, in order that they might accuse him, whether he'd heal on the Sabbath day. Hallelujah. Now, I want to talk about this cripple a little while. This cripple went to church on his own two feet. His feet wasn't, weren't crippled, just his hand was crippled. Not both hands, just one hand. He had a withered hand. And he walked in his own two feet by the volition, by the decision of his own will, willpower. He went into the synagogue. He wasn't carried in in a coffin. A lot of people never go to church until someday they'll go and they're carried in in a coffin. That's right. It might not be an organized church, but it'll be a religious chapel in a funeral parlor somewhere. They'll hold some kind of a religious service, possibly. My little village where I live, some old atheist died a couple years ago, and he cursed God and cursed the Trinity and cursed the church and cursed religion and said, when I die, I want 
the bartender down there. He's about the most ungodly, wicked man I know, and I want him to preach my funeral sermon. That's right. And it horrified even that, that hard-boiled, wicked town that was so soaked in sin and unbelief. It horrified them. One fellow was as mean as the devil. I mean, pardon me, that sounds like profanity, but he was as mean as the devil could make him. And he got scared. His wife in the little Baptist church there had been praying for him for years, and he straightened up. He didn't get saved, but he started to go to church, and he stopped cussing, and he stopped being so mean to her. And he said, to think that old reprobate got that saloon keeper to get that bartender to come and have charge of his funeral sermon. Isn't that awful? What, what lengths men will go to insult God and insult Christ? But this fellow wasn't carried in a corpse. He came there in his own two feet. But while he wasn't a dead man, yet he was a crippled man. And I am taking this crippled man to portray many Christians. Christians, yep, they go to church. This man believed in God, so do we. He believed in the law, that is, as far as the gospel light, as far as spiritual light was concerned, the word of God was concerned that he had. He believed it. That's why he was in the synagogue. He went to pray and to worship God and Christians. I don't mean hypocrites. I'm not talking about hypocrites now. I'm talking about real Christians. The only thing wrong with this man was that one of the members of his physical body was withered. He had a withered hand. And I want to say I've been in this thing since I was a boy, a small boy, and I've observed people can't help but observe them. And don't you think these kids don't observe lots? They observe more than you think they observe. No, when I was a small boy, I went to a, a certain church, went to a revival, because my mother was always going to revivals. All winter long, all the churches would put on at least one two-week revival. And she spent all winter long going from one Presbyterian revival and the Methodist revival and the Baptist revival and all the revivals. She'd go from Presbyterian revival. She went from church to church, and she took in four or five or six revivals every winter. And, of course, I went with her. My brother went with her most of the time. We went to the revivals. And I remember there was a big fat fellow with a big, with a big black mustache. I, his name slips my mind. But, the, but he was leading the singing, Come to Jesus, come to Jesus. Just now your doubtings give o'er. Just now throw open the door, come to Jesus. And the next day, I was about seven years old, and I saw that fellow smoking a big black cigar. And I ran home, and I, could, I couldn't believe it. I said, Mom, that big fat man that was leading the singing and saying, Come to Jesus, he was smoking a big cigar. Isn't that awful? She said, yes, that's right. He's smoking a cigar. And I was horrified. Oh, I know I was just a little boy, but I observed it. Don't you think the way we live and the way we do doesn't, doesn't register on the minds of young people? It certainly registers. And this man was a good man in the synagogue, went there of his own will. He wasn't coerced. He wasn't carried in. They didn't give him knockout drops to persuade him to go. He went because he wanted to go. He was evidently reaching out after God, as the sequel reveals. But yet, he, he, there was something wrong with him. He was withered in one hand. And I began to say, I've observed Christians all my life. 
and altogether too many times they have a weak spot. They have a weak spot. They're crippled in some area of their Christian experience. They're crippled. Remember I went into a church one time, not a church, mission, went into a mission one time, got there a little bit late, they were already praying. Most of the people had their heads bowed, but one fellow was kneeling in the aisle, facing the door where I came in, and he was praying, praying up a storm. But naturally, when I came into that mission, I didn't know they were praying. I, did, I hadn't done anything wrong. But as I came in, oh, I saw they were praying, so I stopped. But he was about six feet in front of me, and he was reading that prayer out of a book. This was after I had the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and I thought that hypocrite, reading a prayer out of reading the prayer from somebody else's book. Well, I wouldn't say that now. Maybe he was embarrassed and excitable, or couldn't keep his thoughts in order, praying out loud, and so he had to read it. But my brother, I think if you're right with God, you ought to be able to at least pray without having to read a secondhand prayer that somebody else wrote for you. That's just my private opinion. So in my estimation, that old gentleman was a cripple. He was a cripple when it came to his prayer life. Is there some area, now this is searching, this is personal, this is going to meddling maybe, but is there some area in your Christian life and walk with God where you are conscious of being incapacitated? What's that mean? Well, you're a cripple in some respect. In some regard, you're a cripple. This poor fellow was a cripple in his hand. He believed in God, believed a lot of things. It happened to be his hand that was crippled, not his eyes. Many people are crippled in their eyes. They have very, very poor spiritual vision. They can get saved and go to Sunday school and go to Bible study and go to church three or four times a week for 40 years, and they've never learned the first fundamental principles of separation from the world and walking with God, and the least little test comes along, they're all at sea. They've never learned. They've never become really adjusted and grounded in the Word of God for themselves. They always have to lean heavily on the pastor and those dear hearts. They're not to blame altogether because they're crippled. They've never gotten their eyes open. They're, 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 they're impaired in their spiritual vision. They can't understand. They can't see. And they just take up so much of the pastor's time nursing them along and calling on them. And if you call in the pastor, keep calling. If you need help, keep calling. Yeah. You've got a good pastor. He'll wear himself out for you. And he is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but uh, you understand my thought. I'm just trying to illustrate the thought of what I mean by being a cripple. And so there are people that are crippled in their in their eyes, and and some are crippled in their ears. They get up first thing in the morning, five o'clock or six o'clock, to get the old man. I mean, to get their husband off to work, and they or it's not the women; it's the men too. As soon as they walk into the shop or the office, they turn the radio on. And it's on. Blarity, 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 blare, 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 bl
day long. And the lady of the house, she's home, and she's got the thing turned on on the at home. It's a TV. And it's going lickety-cut, rippity-bangs all day long. Never thinks of going to turn the fool thing down. Leave it go all day long. I know what I'm talking about. I've been a pastor for years. Oh, Johnny Jump Up had the croup last night. He put in there strangled to death. Oh, you'll have to pray for him. Well, you try to pray, and there's the there's that Hollywood bunch of of, of, of jack and apes there cutting up and acting the fool and blah 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 blah, blah screaming and yelling and, and 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 going on. And you say, well, can't we turn it off? Oh, wait, I'll turn it down. I have been in since the time, and I said, no, if you don't turn it off, I'm not going to pray. Turn it off. Turn it, well, I always watch this prayer. Well, don't watch it now. We're going to pray. Amen. What's wrong with them? They're crippled in their ears. They've got to have a crutch of some fool rock, rock and roll, blam, blam, blangity, blam, blam, dinning in their ears all day long. No wonder they never have a chance for God to talk to them. Amen. They never get down to the threshing floor like I preached last Sunday morning in the stillness of the night to wait at Jesus' feet to get hidden away with Christ in God for God to speak to them. Naomi said, It shall be told thee what thou shalt do. Where? In the place of secret prayer and silent waiting on God. Their ears are crippled. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Sure. Maybe we'll locate you after a while. All right? Uh, maybe they're crippled. Maybe they're Maybe they're crippled in their lips. They've got paralyzed lips, or maybe they maybe have the mis misfortune of being tongue-tied. That that string—I don't know the medical terms—but but that string under your tongue has uh, is uh, it's it, it, it's grown tight, and the poor victim can't speak plainly. And they can pray. And maybe they pay their tithes, and maybe they're good tithers, and surely the preachers and the, the official board thanks God for the tithers. If it wasn't for the tithers, you'd have to fold up the shop. So we thank the Lord for the tithers. We're glad they're Christians, and they're not hypocrites. They're Christians. I'm talking about honest-to-God Christians. But they're crippled. They go from one blue moon to the next. They go from one year to the next. They go from one decade to the next and never think of saying a word for Jesus to anybody that they know is unsaved. Oh, I'm not a preacher. I'm paying my tithes. Let the preacher do the preaching. Every child of God that's saved, every, every saved person is called to be a witness. Well, why don't they all witness? Because they're, they're crippled in their tongue. They're incapacitated. Lord. This happened to be this fellow was crippled in his hand. And some people are crippled in their hand when it comes to the offering plate. They just can't, they just can't, their pocketbook is in their left side hip pocket, and their right hand is crippled, so they can't reach it somehow. They can't get around there to reach it. So they fiddle around and put in a bus token or, a, or something they got in their little side pocket here, toothpick or something, you know. They never, they've never learned to give to God. Now, I'm not mean, I'm just speaking. I'm just trying to depict how God's own blood-washed children that love the Lord and are struggling on, 
They are incapacitated and they are conscious down in the depths of their heart. They are conscious of a definite, a definite weakness in their experience and in their walk with God. Now, I'm not going to ask you, I wouldn't be so unkind or so crude as to ask anybody, but while I'm speaking, is your heart speaking to you? Will you let your heart speak to you? Will you let the Spirit of God speak to you? Well, what are you getting at, Brother Trotter? Because uh, just like Jesus healed that cripple back there, there's deliverance and there's victory and there's blessing and there's a new flood of divine life for every last one of the people of God to bring us up into normal, full, what's the word I want, adulthood in Christ, to grow up into maturity in Christ, that we'll be in full possession of all of our spiritual faculties. Some people are crippled in their knees. They can't pray. Do you know the extent of the prayer life of quite a number of God's own Pentecostal people? Do you know what the extent of their prayer life consists of? Their prayer life consists of the 45 seconds or the minute or the minute and a half, that's 90 seconds, that we pray after all the requests are brought in. And we say, all right, let's all pray together. And we all pray together for 45 seconds. And I'm not finding fault with this. I think we ought to. I think it's grand. Or we pray not more than a minute. So on some occasions, we might even, in a great volume, pray a minute and a half. Say amen. And that's the extent. That's amen, and that's it. And they don't pray again until they get to the next meeting. Well, how do you know? Because I've lived with them. I've, I've stayed with them in their homes. I've been around for long enough. I've got a little experience. And I know that Christians, many of them, live that way. Or they do ask the blessing at the table. They do get that prayer in, too. Understand? But that's about the extent of their prayer life. They're crippled in their knees. Not, not that I mean you have to get on your knees to pray. In fact, I don't because I find it's very hard for me to get on my knees and it's harder for me to get up. Seriously, I mean that. So poor wife, she couldn't get on her knees for the last three years. But we learned to lay around me and my uh, recliner and she there on the, on the divan and we prayed, not on our knees, but we prayed. I mean, she kept me praying. That's one reason why I miss her so. I don't have her there to lead me in prayer for two and three and four hours a day. It wasn't a chore. It was a blessing. It was heaven on earth. Yeah. It, was, it was glorious. She'd say, what time is it, Daddy? After she was exhausted. And I had to cram my neck around and look at the clock, and I'd say, wait, I'll look, and I'd cram my neck around, and I'd say, it's quarter to 11. We started at 7.30. Many and many and many and many and many and many and many a day. It was glorious because my wife wasn't crippled in her knees, but oh, saints, I'm not scolding, I'm just trying to put, portray a certain spiritual truth that the people of God in some point or other so often are crippled in some realm or in some, not, 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 not the right word, in some area of their Christian experience, they are crippled. Maybe it's in their thought life. Maybe it's in finances. 
Maybe it's in prayer. Maybe it's in testimony. They never speak a word for Jesus. Maybe it's in their feet. They have no strength to stand. As long as their good friend or friends are standing right there with them to hold them up and prop them up and guide them and advise them and they just lean on them day and night, well, they can make it pretty good. But the minute God takes the prop away, prop away from them, down they go. They've never, their feet and ankle bones have never received strength. They, can, they have no strength to stand. And that's sad. We're not ridiculing. God knows our hearts. We're not ridiculing any one of these hypothetical cases tonight. We're just trying to depict this spiritual truth that there in some area of many Christians' lives there is a state of incapacitation, or we'll call it, there's a crippled condition there. And the message tonight that I want to bring to you is that Jesus wants to touch that thing and cure it and change it, and he can. Hallelujah to his wonderful name forever and forever. They have no strength to stand or knees for prayer life. Now this poor fellow was a cripple. But he wasn't a cripple very long after he came, into the, came to meeting that day. For when he came to meeting that day, it wasn't long before he himself was a living miracle. Hallelujah. And did you know that God can turn every one of us into living, walking, talking miracles? We hear about miracles in Africa, and we hear about miracles in China or India or Indonesia, and about whole villages that walk on water, and we hear a whole lot of stuff. I mean, we hear many glorious reports. That's wonderful. Some of it I put a grain of salt over that day. It's got a basis of truth, but it's been blown up just a little bit beyond. There's a little mendacity mixed in with it. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, oh, we're so thrilled to hear of these wonderful miracles someplace else. But God, God can make every one of us a living, walking miracle. Praise the name of the Lord forever. Now let's go on. Look at this story now. This poor cripple came into the, the synagogue a cripple. But, uh, but he came. And uh, we have come here tonight with, no, let's change the word from cripple to imperfection. Let's change it from miracle, from cripple to imperfection. We have come here tonight just as we are with our imperfections, haven't we? But we came. We came because we love the Lord. We didn't come blowing a trumpet telling everybody about our spiritual weaknesses or our Christian weaknesses. We came uh, trying to ignore them and trying to overcome them, but we're conscious of imperfections. And we wish we weren't that way. We wish we were a little bit higher in a higher plane in God. Don't you? Don't you? I do. I wish every day and long and cry every day, God, I want to get on a higher plane. Lord, uh, Lord, I'm reaching out. I want to get on a higher plane. I want to be more mature. I want to bear fruit. I want to be more spiritual. I want to get rid of some of my imperfections. Maybe the word cripple is kind of a harsh word. We'll use imperfections. And so this fellow came 
with his imperfections, and we have come here to this meeting tonight with all our imperfections. I have a suspicion that one of the reasons this man came to the synagogue was because he heard that Jesus was going to be there. And you may not just have sat down and analyzed it and says, well, I'm going to go to the Thursday night meeting because Jesus is going to be there, and I don't care anything about Eldridge, and I don't care anything about Trotter, or I don't care anything about Sister Eldridge playing the organ, or I don't care about Sister Laird playing the piano, or I don't care about Brother Laird leading the singing, but I just came to meet Jesus. You didn't think all that out, but basically, fundamentally, the reason we came, there's a, there's a, there's a desire, there's a reaching out and our heart to meet Jesus. If it was well known and well advertised, God's not going to be in the meeting tomorrow night. Jesus isn't going to be there. It's just going to be a bunch of professors there, but God, the Spirit of God's not going to be there, and Jesus isn't going to be there. You wouldn't come if you had good sense. I wouldn't cross the street or walk three feet to go to a meeting where I absolutely knew Jesus wasn't going to be there. Would you? But this fellow heard that Jesus was going to be there. That, that's what I think. And that's one of the big reasons why he went. Praise the Lord. And so the man came in, took his place in the synagogue over there with the man. Praise the name of the Lord forever. And, and uh, after all oh, the scribes were all there, hypocrites were there, legalists were there, hair-splitting theologians were there, but best of all... Jesus came in the door. Jesus was there. And the presence of Jesus in the meeting is the greatest joy on earth to the child of God. Greatest joy you can ever find on earth is to know that Jesus is there. Jesus is here. I am so happy in Christ today that I go singing along my way. I am so happy to know and say Jesus included me too. Glory to God. Freely come drink. Blessed words to thrill. Uh, oh, how my heart they with joy do fill. For when he said, whosoever will, Jesus included me too. And Jesus is here. Where two or three come together in my name, there am I in the midst. And he's here. And the presence of Jesus is our greatest joy on the face of the earth, isn't it? Isn't it? If it's not, there's something wrong in your experience. I might as well be plain. I don't know how else. I don't know how to say it nice and flowery. I can just say it plain so you'll understand it. There's something wrong in our adjustment to the things of God if the presence of Jesus is not your greatest joy this side of the rapture. The presence of Jesus is our greatest joy. And Jesus in the meeting is your greatest opportunity for deliverance from every work of the devil and for Christian maturity and for spiritual growth and for spiritual blessing and for big strides ahead toward spiritual perfection. Glory to God and the Lamb forever. Do you believe that? Well, it's say amen. I know you're awake and you're keeping up with me and I'm on the right track. I know, I know I'm on the right track anyway because I'm not preaching something I, I, I thunk myself. This is truth from the, from the Bible. Hallelujah to God and the Lamb forever. Now, uh, uh, 
The presence of Jesus is our greatest opportunity. And the greatest opportunity you have for spiritual development and to, to, to get over your imperfections, to get over your weaknesses, to get over your spiritual failures that ruin your communion with God and keep you under a cloud of a guilt complex and ruin your power with God and spoil your communion and make you hesitant and impoverish you and, and weaken you in your walk with God. The greatest opportunity you will ever have on earth is in a meeting where the presence of Jesus is and where the Holy Ghost is operating. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And the people all watched Jesus because they all had their eyeballs turned toward this cripple. They knew he was a cripple. And while they were all looking at Jesus and looking at the cripple, I want to tell you something else. Jesus saw the cripple. Jesus saw him as soon as he came in. Because Jesus saw him before he got there, like he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree, meditating on Jacob's ladder. Thank you, Jesus. So he said, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel says, What did you say? How knowest thou me? He said, Oh, that's all right, Nathaniel. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. He said, the Master, thou art the Son of God. Jesus said, you think because I told you I saw you before you saw me that I am the Son of God? Hereafter, you're going to see greater things. And you know, brother, when you come in touch with Jesus, you see things you never saw before, but you're going to see greater things. And the further you walk with him and the nearer you walk to him, he'll keep showing you things. Amen. Glory to God that'll make Hollywood look sick. He'll show you things, bless God, that'll take you up into the resplendent heights of celestial glory. He'll keep your brain occupied and your heart occupied from now till kingdom come. Blessed be God in the Lamb forever with things that this world has never seen or heard, for I hath not seen or heard, but God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, and the Lord will show you things. But Jesus saw him, and Jesus saw the cripple, and I've got another something else to tell you. He sees you. He sees you. He knew all about you before you got here. Oh, Willie Booth Cliburn, grandson of old General William Booth, that, that, that man knew God and tremendously used of God, particularly in his earlier days, tremendously used of God. He was a prolific songwriter and an artist on the violin and a song composer and spoke four or five languages at least, was more at home in French than he was in English, for he was raised in France. Willie Booth Cliburn uh, sung, uh, what's that song, Victory, Victory? Uh, uh, every time God's people meet, worship low at Jesus' feet, Satan finds himself a seat. Victory, well is masquerade we know. Uh, though he poses white as snow, God shall cast him down below. Victory, victory, victory. Over all the powers of darkness, victory. When the battle's in array, angels help us in the fray. And God fights for those who pray, victory. Long before the meeting starts, Satan hurls his fiery darts. When we pray, he soon departs, victory. And the atmosphere is clear, and the sound from heaven we hear. Cloven tongues of fire appear, victory. Oh, meetings are the battleground where the howling imps are found. Steel seeds sown on the ground, victory.
When the saints rise up and shout, you should see them turn about. The angels come and throw them out. Victory! Hallelujah! God has spoiled us for the world. None can tempt us back with gold. This cannot be bought nor sold. Victory! Old skins cannot hold new wine. It will burst them every time. But the new skin holds it fine. Victory! Oh, I could sing you six more verses, but I won't afflict you. Hallelujah! Oh, Jesus had his eye on that poor crippled fellow, and Jesus has his eye on you. Hallelujah. Jesus knew he was there, and Jesus came to the synagogue knowing he was going to heal the fellow, and Jesus would love to set you free from your every impediment, from your total cooperation with him in order to get the job done. And Jesus looked at those murderous scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in, in the resurrection or in the existence of a spirit. That's why they were sad, you see. And so uh, Jesus looked at them and he, uh, he said, now look, I want to ask you gentlemen something. Is it right to do good on the Sabbath day or to, or to do evil? And they held their peace. And Jesus, the Bible says, got mad. He was angry. Christians aren't a bunch of milksops. God don't turn you into a bit of animated ectoplasm floating around without feelings. Christ was a man with, with, with feelings like we have. And being angry at their hardness of heart and unbelief, he said to the man, stand forth. And the man stood forth. He obeyed. The reason people don't get through to God and get receive more from God is because they won't do as they're told. They've got a preconceived idea that they know better than the preacher and the leader, and they know, they know better than God, and God's going to do it their way. And so God just lets goes on, and they sit there and soak. Sometimes for 40 years and never do get anything because they won't do as they're told. And then after the man stood forth, came out of his seat and stood there, he stood forth. He was able to walk. He was able to move his left hand. Maybe he was able to move his right hand, but the hand, arm, but the hand was no good. Maybe he could move it, but the hand was no good. Yeah. And it was after the man stood forth, then Jesus looked about and said to the scribes, you're right to heal on the Sabbath. They're not, and they were, they glum, gritted their teeth and wouldn't answer. Jesus, being angry, said to the man, stretch forth thy hand. And he stretched it out, and it was every whole. hold. Whoopee! Lord, I got a heard of a Dr. Fisher, a black man in the city of Detroit. I heard him a few times, once anyway, maybe twice in Boston. He had a church in Detroit and he had a church in Boston. He used to fly back and forth between the two, divide his time between the two. He was a wonderful black man, full of the Holy Ghost. And uh, one time in Boston, he said, I want, he didn't say, God showed me you're to do that. He said, I want everybody that's got a dollar bill and you want, me to, you want to give it to me in the offering, you come up and give me a dollar bill. Give it to me personally. 
Oh, several hundred people there. They all, most of them got up, came up, handed him a dollar bill. And he was saying, thank you, thank you, God bless you, God bless you. He was working in the greenbacks. It was all right, just the colored style, fashion of taking the offering. One lady came up. They were all black. Negro, they, she came up and said, my mother told me to come up and give you this dollar bill for her. Here's mine, and this is from my mother. Dr. Fisher said, where's your mother? Why didn't she bring it? The lady said, she's that little crippled woman sitting down there. She can't walk, and she's in that wheelchair, and she can't, she's got rheumatoid arthritis, and her hands are all crippled up. She can't hold a dollar bill. Dr. Fisher said, stop the music. Stop everything. Don't anybody move. Get that woman in the wheelchair and move, wheel her up here. And he said to this poor little old black woman, all crippled up with rheumatoid arthritis, couldn't move, bones all petrified. He said to her, I know I didn't see this, but I got good authority from men of God that I'd believe anything they said. They saw it. They said, he said, lady, do you want to give me that dollar bill? And she said, mm-hmm. And he said to the daughter, take that dollar bill and fold it up and poke it down between her paralyzed fingers. So the daughter did, rolled the dollar bill up, folded it up tight, and shoved it down into that poor crippled hand. And Doc Fisher said, now in the name of Jesus Christ, do you want to give me that dollar? He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, Hand me that dollar. And she put her hand out absolutely whole to give the black preacher a dollar bill. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Talk about a pandemonium revival. Whoopee. No ifs and ands and maybes. No, no psychological laws. Just the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith. Fisher's faith and the daughter's faith and, and the poor old crippled mother's faith. The arthritis, rheumatoid, that's what, that, you know, that crippling arthritis where they all, where the bones get ossified and, and there's absolutely no, nothing will ever cure it. Stretch the forth, absolutely whole. Glory to Praise God. Praise the name of the Lord forever. Amen. Glory oh, to God. wonderful. So it was something like that. On this occasion, Jesus said, stretch forth thy hand. He didn't say stretch out your neck. That would have been easy. Nothing wrong with his neck. He didn't say, stretch out your leg. That would have been easy. Nothing wrong with his leg. But he told the man to do the thing that he couldn't do. Stretch out your hand. Well, the man's hand was crippled. How could he? But he did it. Well, I'll, I'll try. I'll get my willpower working down as far as the last live nerve is in my arm. And, and, and he, he, he did his best to obey and found that the resurrection life of Christ had healed his hand. Glory be to God and the Lamb forever. And this fellow went out a living, walking miracle. And so can you. Thank the Lord. The weakest, poorest, most imperfect, tongue-tied, stuttering, backward uh, uh, child of God here tonight. You can't lead in prayer. You can't testify. Yeah, yeah, I can't. I can't. I, 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 I just can't. 
and you and you have no prayer life, and you never you, you well, you're just a cripple. And I can't draw your name and address and draw your picture. God's speaking to you, and the Holy Ghost is speaking to you, and every one of us, our conscience is speaking to us, and we know where our imperfection is. We know where our crippled state is. And Jesus, blessed be God and the Lamb forever, he loves us and his eye is on us, and he saw the man, and he deliberately made a show of him and said, Stand forth, accuse the scribes and Pharisees, and heal the fellow. Hallelujah. And the man went home. Do you think he went home and said, Why is the most awful thing happened? Jesus made me stand up in front of the people, and he just made me, and I was so embarrassed. Do you think he talked like that? No. Not if you had, unless you got a hole in your head, you don't think that. He, he, he said, Wait, what? Look, feel it, look, and heal it. Glory to God. Oh, oh, hallelujah. And I think he went to, I think he grabbed his ukulele and played the, played the 150th Psalm. Or he played the 117th Psalm. Praise the Lord, all ye nations. Praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. I think he was constant an instant in praise. And so will you be when Jesus sets you free and heals you of your secret, unadvertised, crippled condition. Thank the Lord. Now see, I've been very kind tonight. Thank the Lord. All this is just undercover. Nobody knows anything about your crippled condition. Not supposed to know anyway. Maybe the, maybe they know more about it than you think they do. Maybe they know more about your crippled condition than you recognize yourself. But I'll be that as it may, we won't argue about those foolish things. I want to tell you, Jesus is the great emancipator. He's the great deliverer. He's the great healer. Hallelujah. Not only of physical ailments, and I'm not belittling anything of that, and I'm not, I'm not degrading anything of divine healing. God forbid. But oh, this is a neglected area in full gospel preaching today. So I thought I'd speak about it tonight. And so this man was a cripple, but it wasn't long when he met Jesus, he was a miracle. Praise the Lord. And you can walk up and down the streets of Wichita Falls or wherever you're from. You can walk up a living miracle, a representative of the healing, full, redeeming power of the Lord Jesus Christ to set you free and make you what you ought to be in Jesus Christ. For his commands are his enablements. When I went, I, I didn't go to Bible. I was attending a church where there was a Bible school. I did not go to the Bible school as a student, that particular school. But I was up there every Sunday, and at least one, one night during the week, and uh, there was one big fellow, Big Dane, D-A-N-E, from Dane, Denmark. When he, when he testified, I thought he was a little touched in the head. He always sat next to the aisle, and he always sat just three or four rows in front of where I sat one of the students, there was about 50 students, and he'd get out in the aisle and he testified something like this. I'm not mocking him, but I'm just trying to give you an idea how he testified. 
I thank the Lord for what he did for me, and I praise the Lord for what he did for me, and I thank the Lord for what he did for me, and he saved me in his precious blood, and he washed me in the blood, and he baptized me in the Holy Ghost, and he saved me, and I'm glad that he's got me to Bible school, and he answers my prayer, and I just praise the Lord, I'm looking for his return. He sat down. That was a crazy way to testify. Wasn't it? Why didn't he stand up and give a testimony? Get up and sing song, the thing back and forth, and and little little prance back and forth, and swing. He was a great big fella. I knew him. His name was Pete Jepson. Knew him for many years. That was 1917 and 18. 1925, I went to a camp meeting. Pete was not the evangelist, but Pete was there, one of the preachers, one of the workers in the camp. He stood up on the platform and preached, talked in a way that people could understand him masterfully, master of the situation, quoted scripture, led the singing. And I went and shook hands with him and I said, Pete, why you surprised me. Well, God, he said, I know what you're trying to say. I don't act now like I acted when I was in Bethel Bible School. I said, you sure don't. He said, you know why I used to talk like that? And I said, no. He said, because I stammered. And I couldn't get up and testify. I, I, I stammered so I couldn't talk. And I went through, God only knows what a stammerer goes through. That is a real bad stammerer. But he said, I had learned that if I, that if I gave it in a kind of a sing-song and lost myself in kind of swinging back and forth, why, well, I could get a little testimony out. And that poor boy was suffering high hypertension, nerves all tied into double-running bowline knots, and there he was trying to get a word out for Jesus and struggling with that awful nervous condition down on his diaphragm. It's not in the throat, it's not in the brain, it's in the diaphragm, it's in the solar plexus. And those nerves, the electrical currents just wouldn't go through and he'd hit a block and and so in order to get, get it out, he sang it. I thank the Lord for what he did for me. And I pray to the Lord that he baptized me in the Holy Spirit. The poor fellow was a cripple. But sometime in between there, he met Jesus. Glory to God. And he was no longer a cripple. The faculty of the Bible school called him in. I could name them. Some of you older saints would recognize the names. And they said, Pete, you'll never make it. And our advice to you is go back to New Haven and get a job and forget the ministry. You will never make it. But when Jesus touched him, he became a living miracle. And Pete Jepson established churches right and left all over the country and pastored and pastored and pastored and lived for many, many years, went over to Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, Paris, Ontario, and over to, over to Toronto, Canada, and had some of the best revivals that Canada ever had. Hundreds flocked to the altar. Hundreds were saved. J.H. Blair, the superintendent of eastern and western Ontario for many, many years, said Pete Jepson was the greatest evangelist ever came out of America to Ontario. That's a mouthful. 
He said, he built this. He was pastor of a nice big church, twice as big as this. He said, Pete Jepson really built this church as a result of his campaign. Pete was a good friend of mine. One day the Lord said, Pete, you've suffered long enough. And called him home. I'm going to see Pete someday. I'm telling you that God can make you overcome and God can touch oh, your weakness, physical can, or can. spiritual, and lift you and change you and set you free and make your life radiant with his divine presence because it's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this fellow didn't go out tongue-tied. He spread it abroad, and I'll prove it to you. Here it is in the third chapter of Mark. It says, and Jesus withdrew himself. The, the, the big wigs, I mean the, uh, the, leader, the religious leaders, they took counsel together how they might kill him. It doesn't say that. It says how they might destroy him. They might kill him. And Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples over to the sea. And a great multitude followed him. And way down in Judea, they, they hiked all the way up to Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee. It's a good long hike. Took them several days. And from Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond Jordan, and from about Tyre and Sidon, where the whole, the whole northern end of Palestine was stirred. Why? How? When they heard what great things Jesus did. And this fellow's crippled hand was the touchstone, was the, was the, was the critical miracle that precipitated the wave of testimony and popularity understand that brought about the great spiritual awakening in northern Palestine. He became a vehicle. He became a means of a great widespread blessing. And you might never be a preacher. And you might never, no reproach if you're never a preacher. God needs, to every preacher, he needs 500 laymen out there, that, that's right out there mingling with everybody in the oh, world, yeah. witnessing and living for God. The apostles, when the Holy Ghost fell and the persecution came, the apostles holed up in Jerusalem and all the laymen, all the deacons went out and they went over to Antioch and they went to Caesarea and they went every place else gossiping. The gospel and churches were established not through the apostles, but through the laymen that went out full of the Holy Ghost and couldn't shut up. They just went out and told it everywhere. We know. We're witnesses. We saw him. We talked to him. How we saw the power of God fall. I saw the tongues of fire. One of them sat on my head. And they were able to tell first-hand information. Hallelujah to his name forever and forever and forever and forever. But I'm not going to preach forever. Don't get nervous. Hallelujah. And, and so he became a means of tremendous blessing to multitudes all around. And you can do the same thing. Glory be to God and the Lamb forever. Now Jerome, do you know who Jerome was? I think Jerome was one of the apostolic fathers, one of the great church fathers that arose after the uh, generation of the apostles themselves. Jerome says, the tradition says, that this fellow that was healed of his crippled hand was by trade a stonemason. I don't ever read that he became a bishop in the church or an archbishop wearing long black robes with 
beads or mitres and crowns or wore a scepter, swung a scepter. I don't read of him ever becoming a big wig in the church or a big popular dignitary, a dignitary in the church. I don't read it. Jerome says he went back to laying stone walls. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Now whatever you're, he, he couldn't lay stone walls with a crippled hand. And you can't be what, you can't do what God wants you to do as long as you have that, that secret, unadvertised, possibly, probably unconfessed. The Lord don't want you to blot it all out. It's, it's bad enough people will see it without you having to speak of it. But that, that thing that you know is there is spoiling your usefulness in God. When you meet Jesus and he sets you free, hallelujah to God, you'll go back to laying stone walls or laying bricks or baking bread or whatever your calling is, and it'll be the best bread in town, it'll be the straightest brick walls in town, and everybody will come and you'll have more work to pay more tithes than anybody in the neighborhood. Glory to God in the name of God. You know what I'm talking about? Well, if you don't, I can't make it any plainer. That's the Jesus that we're serving tonight. Glory to God. Jerome says he was a stonemason and he went back to laying stone walls. Glory to God and the Lamb forever. This poor mason, he was impotent until the miracle took place. And he became the means of bringing glory to God and salvation to multitudes. We could repeat the same thing in the lives of multitudes. Poor Paul was crippled. I can't go into it. Peter was crippled. Poor Peter was so impetuous, his, he was so crippled in, his, in, his, in, in the adjustment of his disposition that he was always running ahead of the Lord or dragging six leagues behind him. He never could keep pace with the Lord. The Lord is all saying, hold on, Peter, you're going too fast, or come on, Peter, catch up. Peter just couldn't walk along with God. But after God cured him, hallelujah. He was over all his nervousness, and he was over all his impetuosity, praise the Lord, and he became so oh, such a tremendous pillar in the church of God. Blessed be. You know what I'm talking about? And God can do it for each one of us. God can make us what we ought to be, and we'll be ready, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle, but without blemish for his honor and glory through eternal ages. Shall we all stand? Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you, would you come up and, and confess what your weakness is? We don't want to know. We don't have to know. But if you are conscious of some definite thing in your life, some propensity in your life, some condition in your life that's holding you up from real joy, real victory, real spiritual blessing, real spiritual power, real usefulness. There's, a, there's an impediment there. There's, there's something blood barricading the way. You can't get through to be what you know you ought to be. Will you come tonight and dare to trust him Will you come tonight and make a definite case of it? Lord, I bring this thing to you, and I'm making a definite, I'm going to commit this thing to you. Pray, Lamb of God, uh, do it for me. 
I give it up to you. I commit it to you. And from, well, I've tried a thousand times, but I'm going to try again. Though I've tried, yes, tried in vain, tried to break the tempter's chain, yet today I'll try and again. Jesus died for me. Glory to God. Uh, what's the first line of that old chorus? Uh, I will go, I cannot stay from the arms of love away. Oh, for strength of faith to say, Jesus died for me. Something whispers in my soul, though your sins like mountains roll, Jesus' blood can make you whole. Jesus died for me. Can it be, oh, can it be, there is hope for one like me? I will go with this my plea. Jesus died for me. And he hasn't excluded you. Every one of us are included. Every last one of us are included. And he waits, he longs, he desires. He comes into our meeting to meet with us, just to be with us, so we can say, well, Jesus was there. No, 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 no. To minister to us, to meet our need, and to lift us and set us free. What have you got to say? His power Well, that's wonderful. Everybody's singing, His power. His power can make you what you ought to be. His blood can cleanse your heart and set you free. His blood can fill your soul and you will see. T'was best for him to have his way with thee. His power can make you what you ought to be. Come on. Love can fill your heart and make you free. His love can fill your soul and you will see. T'was best for him to have his way with thee. Oh, would you live for Jesus and be always pure and good.